0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: Welcome back to the NOW News Panel on AMI. I'm Alex Smythe, in for Dave Brown, and I'm joined by Michelle McQuig and Shawita Gupta. So let's address our next topic. As COVID-19, RSV, and flu cases rise, the conversation of mask mandates and recommendations has returned. Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore, spoke earlier this week and strongly recommended the use of masks and other preventative measures to protect others around us.
0: If you have any symptoms of infection, you should mask around those that are most vulnerable to our uh, individuals. You should be screening on a daily basis. Good hand hygiene is going to be exceptionally important with RSV and influenza. It's a call to vaccinate against influenza and COVID as there's no vaccine against RSV. We need to protect our health system. We need to protect each other. And it's really getting back to all of those basics.
1: Despite his recommendations, Ontario Health Minister Sylvia Jones says that masking is a personal choice.
0: I think that what we are seeing is people who are making determinations based on their personal circumstances. Personal choice is important here and we we should not be passing judgment on people who wear a mask or not wear a mask.
1: Alberta Premier Danielle Smith says that masking is a choice as well and that the province will not mandate masks.
2: Anyone who feels comfortable to wear a mask should wear a mask. That should be a personal choice, and anyone who wants to make that choice, I support them. But we are not going to be mandating masks. We have heard loud and clear from parents that they want a normal school environment for their kids, and we're going to let kids be kids.
1: Now, Michelle, this was your topic, so why did you want to bring it forward and chat about it today?
2: Well, I think it's one that's on the minds of a lot of people as they try to navigate a fairly infectious world at the moment with COVID still very much in the mix, uh, two different kinds of, of other viruses going around, including influenza. <clears throat> I already know people who, who have been dropping like flies with this stuff, so I know it's very much out there. And masking mandates are a big question right now, whether you're a parent with kids in schools wondering if, if perhaps a mandate would help curb some of the pediatric illnesses that are circulating right now. Or even if you're just trying to navigate, uh, you try to maintain the return to some pre-pandemic norms and keep navigating your community and and doing doing your thing. It's a question that I think a lot of people are asking is whether or not one would matter. Uh, Some people are very much of the opinion that people need to be told if they're going to wear a mask because they're otherwise just going to ignore it and uh, other people say well even a mandate is likely to just be ignored because people are sick of this and and it's a personal choice and all the rhetoric that you've been hearing over the past few clips so the it's a very active debate and i thought it would be a good chance to, for us to dive in and, and explore some of the factors that are at play as governments decide what route to go on this one because no one has really fully committed either way except for alberta
1: yeah absolutely and as uh you mentioned with the clips it's Right now, we we have uh, Dr. Kieran Moore saying no mask should be. Uh, it, it's strongly recommended. That's his medical opinion. But then you have the policy side and saying, "Well, we're it's it's a personal choice." It's it's this tug of war right now. Jawita, I'm I'm curious. I want you, uh, to find out from you. How do you feel if there would be a a return to a mask mandate here in Ontario?
0: Honestly, I'd actually welcome it. I think I would even go so far as to say that I am quite relieved uh, if they were to bring back a mask mandate. I'm not sure how successful they'll be in in enforcing that and how much compliance there'll be. But speaking for myself, I would certainly welcome it. I think... um, Over the course of the pandemic, we've had many uh, people be critical of reopening schools uh, when they have and talking about poor ventilation in classrooms. I would be concerned about kids in school um, dealing with this triple whammy, the RSV, the flu and COVID. Uh, But we also need to remember that for the populations that have always been vulnerable. They're still at risk, whether it's the elderly or chronically disabled people or chronically ill people. They've never really been able to put the pandemic aside. And I feel like there is something to be said for recognizing that maybe things improved over the course of the summer. But certainly, as we get into the winter, things are likely to get more difficult. And I'd be quite comfortable if they were to bring back a mask mandate as to whether governments will actually commit to doing that. And let's assume hypothetically that governments, in fact, do mandate masks again. I really do have doubts about how effectively they'll be able to enforce that at this stage in the game.
1: Yeah, and and um, Michelle, as as you kind of mentioned, it's like well, so whether or not they they do bring one back, are people actually going to follow them? You know, we we saw especially during the towards the end of the the masking mandates that, it, it even though they were still in place, people were far more relaxed about it. I I know even just based on my experience when I was traveling for postcards during. This past year, uh, there would be times where during the summer, it's like, oh, there's still a mask mandate here at this airport, and there was a couple that I went to, but you looked around, and there was very few people in certain areas wearing <laughs> masks, and, and I found it very um, fascinating, and I ended up asking uh, someone at the Charlottetown uh, uh, airport that, you know, why... Why is no one wearing a mask? It's like, oh, well, uh, in this section, it's actually regulated by the province. And the province is, uh, like they said, it's now a choice. But you go through security here, then that's the federal side, and then you have to wear a mask. Well, I guess uh, you guys can probably guess what happened. You go through security, and the same people who weren't wearing a mask before are still not wearing a mask then. But, uh, (laughs) Michelle, I I want to find out from you, how would you feel about a return to mask mandates? And do you think any province is actually going to do it?
2: I'm kind of with Joita. It's something that I would personally uh, not have any problem with. In fact, I'd probably welcome it in light of the pressure on the pediatric healthcare system in particular. But I'm sure that's going to spill over elsewhere and and already has in in some cases. Um, I personally am acting like there's a mandated place already in terms of my own masking use. Uh, But in terms of what's going to happen... It makes me nostalgic in a way for the early days of the pandemic when everyone's de facto position was listen to science. We're not going to argue with it. There wasn't, it wasn't the, the political hot potato that it has since become for that reason. The fact that this issue has become so deeply politicized, uh, I need only refer back to the convoy protests to see exactly how hot button and charge this issue can be. I think it's going to be a bit remarkable if, many or even any governments decide to fully go back that route. I think there's going to be some provinces where the resistance might be a little bit fiercer than than elsewhere. Um, But I think a province like Ontario will be a very interesting proving ground for this issue. This is a province whose uh, governing party is definitely a little bit more aligned with the Daniel Smiths of the world than, than not. And yet during the first several waves of covid Ontario did not hesitate to impose mask mandates to impose some lockdowns, things that really did anchor the base. So I'm going to be very interested to see where this goes, but it definitely seems like there's more resistance to the idea of a mandate than we saw before. And it wouldn't at all surprise me if that led to a number of continued sort of communicative half measures like what we've been seeing. That's my other reason for thinking that there might be merit to a mandate is because of the mixed messaging and the confusing sort of vague messaging that's been going out around COVID. I think that's got a lot of people fed up and confused. And I think some clarity would be welcomed by a certain faction of the population
1: absolutely and and one part eds uh, i mentioned and we started uh, set up the story is the fact that it's not just COVID that we're dealing with now. We we have RSV, which is uh, impacting the the children who, at, at a certain age, can't get vaccinated or or uh, the parents haven't uh, vaccinated the children yet. And then you also have your your seasonal flus, which is, always has a, a a wide impact. We didn't see it early on in the pandemic because everyone stayed home, mm-hmm. everyone kept their distance, and everyone washed their hands like there was no tomorrow. But now these things are returning, and so it's like we were always very concerned about the hospitalization rates, the the access to our emergency rooms, uh, how many beds were available. That's kind of, that conversation has gone away, but the issue hasn't gone away. Uh, the the uh, supports and services that we rely on, if you get sick, if you need to go to the hospital, is still very much there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Juwita, I want to go to you on this one. Do you think that science has kind of been pushed aside and, and politics now is kind of reigning supreme over over science? We saw early on that science was really in the forefront. I mean, mm-hmm. Teresa Tam was giving uh, 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 just press uh, conferences every day by herself as as the, the voice of our national uh, um, science. But it seems things have changed a lot over the past two years and now more specifically policy is, seems to be driving what we're doing.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's a good observation and I suppose if you'll excuse the cynicism, an inevitable one. Uh, I think it is to be commended that in the early days of the pandemic, the health and medical establishment worked in lockstep with the political establishment. But really, I didn't actually think that that unanimity would last very long. Um, I think the convoy protest and the anti-vax protest that we've seen is a is a really good example of the adage where the greasy wheel, uh, where the squeaky wheel gets the grease, because although it is a minority of people who were at the convoy protest and a minority of people objecting to vaccines and a minority of people objecting to masks, they were a loud minority, and I think they've really managed to polarize the conversation. And beyond all of that, COVID fatigue is real. Um, And I think people want to return to, quote, unquote, normal. And politicians know this. They may not disagree with the science. They may even understand that the issues, as you pointed out, around hospitalization and the availability of emergency beds and ICU beds and uh, needing to cancel surgeries if the hospital system gets overwhelmed. All of those issues might still be at play. And politicians will not disagree with the need to bring back a mask mandate. But at this stage, they're likely not going to do that because that's not a hill that they want to die on politically. It's inevitable. Nothing in the world is apolitical. Um, I, I, I'm not at all surprised that it's come to this. Uh, it is an unfortunate turn of events because as I alluded to earlier in our conversation, I think it is germane to our discussion here. Um, there are many people with chronic health illnesses for whom the pandemic has never reseeded into the background. And they have uh, really struggled with optional mask mandates and uh, things like that. And, you know, and with reduced um, closures and and, uh, things going back to the way that they were because the the COVID-19 has not disappeared. And now we have RSV and flu to add to the mix as well. So from a disability advocacy standpoint, um, it's a disappointing turn of events, but not one that is altogether surprising to me, to be perfectly honest with you.
1: Uh, yeah, and and Michelle, I'm I'm curious for uh, from your perspective. Do you think that, w- I I know we we all kind of say yeah, we don't see a a full blown mass mandate coming in, into play, but maybe one that's a bit more targeted. We did see you know in hospitals, long care, uh, long term care homes, it was a lot more. Um, it, it was it was around a lot longer. The, uh, some have mm. returned in certain situations. Do you foresee that being more of a, a model going forward? That it's going to be very targeted. It's not going to be very uh, broad. And that all uh, public uh, uh, places need to have one.
2: <clears throat> I yes, I, I do think the. As I kind of alluded to before, I think I think governments would try basically any alternative to imposing a full-fledged mask mandate. And the only way that were to happen, in my estimation, is if the pressure on the health system just got to be unsustainable. Uh, define unsustainable as you will, though, because there are people right now who argue that the status quo is unsustainable and, and has been for quite a long time. So I don't know wh- where those thresholds would lie. But yes, I could absolutely see governments playing with basically any... At every alternative to a widespread mm. full on mask mandate and a targeted model would make a certain amount of sense where I think that could be interesting is what targets they choose. I think LTC homes are going to be relatively low hanging fruit that people won't necessarily argue with too much. Uh, but if you start getting into that and say like places of worship or schools, uh, places that really touch people's everyday lives, uh, sporting events for instance, would be another one that I think would draw a lot of public ire, uh, but that might, well, be something that that might be more of an acceptable risk for certain governments, I would well, think.
1: Well, and and the thing is too, one that was uh, in place for a long time was on airlines on on planes and uh, things like that. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, the the argument was it was more really a a perception because planes had some of the best filtration systems for for air, and it was a bit of a, a lower a risk uh, environment compared to some other ones that may seem safer but actually had poor ventilation and and could lead to more more infections but uh, we'll we'll leave the conversation there for now so uh, coming up next we contemplate whether there should be more vetting and safeguards for government officials and politicians on social media. This is now news panel on AMI TV.